close to 10% uh, live in ultra poor standards, okay? It's a crazy amount. Uh, people that receive and live on less than 50 US cents a day. Okay, so that's an incredible stat. So this, this uh, organization goes in and they try to get those people that are on ultra poor conditions out of it. So this would be a mom with like four kids. Uh, she has to do manual labor. She gets paid not really in money, but in food so that she can feed her four kids. And just it's an endless cycle that they try to escape from. And so what this uh, organization does is uh, they partner and they train up per 30 people. They form these small communities of 30 people. And in these 30 people, they have two pastors who they train up, they help them pay their studies so that they can get theologically equipped. They bring in two people that have practical skills to teach them how to just make money and use what they have to support themselves and uh, get out of the pressure. And then they send in another six people that will just walk with them for six months, relationally. How's it going? Hey, this is what you've been teach. How are you implementing it? Blah, blah, blah. So they have these, these small groups of 30 people with almost like eight, ten support staff, two of those who are Christian uh, pastors, um, and they walk with them for six months. And the results have been incredible. Like they've seen a 100% increase in wealth in six months. But they've also se seen stuff like 41% decrease in diseases. They've seen people in incredible relational stats. And so what these guys do is, I just this is a really rough diagram uh, that I just want to show you guys. Uh, it's, there's a diagram there. And so kind of before they start the program, this is how they, they took a group of 30 and they just dotted them all down and they said, hey, okay, who do you have relationship with in the community? And some people would say, well, sheesh, I know two people really that I connect with. That's about it. And uh, they dotted it down relationships. And then after they've walked with them for six months, connecting them to people that can help them spiritually, but also both practically, like, hey, who is the person that you need to go to when you've got medical problems? This is da-da-da-da. Just helping them uh, understand the social part of surviving. That's what happens. It's just like a web um, of uh, relationships. And um, what is really interesting is that researchers worldwide have been intrigued by this. And they've said, like, wow, this is, you guys, they, I think last year, in 2017, they hit one million, the one millionth person that they've influenced. So they've hit 10% of the ultra poor, and they've helped them with this program. And this program is effective. And people are intrigued because they're saying, why is it so effective? And kind of to deny the fact that it's maybe because there's the spiritual leadership with the support, the financial support. And so what they did is they had this company, this organization, uh, do a case study where they had people with two pastors, with leadership, and two, and a lot of them without. And they and they compared it after six months months and it like the results are in favor <laughs> of God's system which is the church you know like 
people with that spiritual guidance, they flourish. People with community, people with biblical foundations in their lives that leads them to biblical community and a biblical way of thinking, those guys were thriving more than those without it. And so it's just amazing to see, and it shouldn't be surprising to us as the church, that the church is the best mechanism worldwide to alleviate things like poverty. But it's the best thing for people to experience real community. And uh, that's what I want to talk about uh, today is, is fellowship and biblical community. And uh, the word fellowship uh, is uh, a word that um, comes from the Greek, and it's uh, koinonia, um, koinonia, which really means to have a commonness or commonality, okay? And uh, where we find this word come up more often as we start reading through the Bible is when the church starts. There's just this explosion and people are starting to gather and have fellowship together. And it's why it's not because the, the uh, church leaders are saying, hey, we're meeting this time tonight, you better be there. It was because there was a commonness and a commonality about the lifestyle that they were leading. And I think that sometimes we, we miss the whole idea of church completely, completely. Now, I was thinking about that this week that, you know, we find each other and we should find each other actually along the way of the great mission that God has put us on. God has said, go and make disciples of all nations. Go and love your neighbor. Love God and love others. And that's what these guys in the early church in Acts were doing. In Acts, I think it's in Acts 2 verse 42, just to read that together, it says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and the prayer. And so, like, there's kind of these four things that we see were absolutely fundamental, and fellowship is in it. And so, surely fellowship has to be important, that it's so important that the early church started doing it right away. And I think what happened, and what we see happen, and there's evidence of it, is that these guys heard the good news, they heard the call on their lives to say, hey, you need to go and love others the way you've just been loved into being saved. You need to go and tell others. And as they were doing that, as they were fulfilling their mandate, they found others along the way that were doing the same thing with them, and they started forming these small communities that were saying, hey, sheesh, we love doing this. We need each other. We need this community. You know, like that diagram, there's people on the fringes that need to be pulled in. And I think once that's community, that's fellowship. And so this morning, I'm really excited uh, to, to just dive into fellowship a little bit, to see that, hey, when we actually start applying the Word of God to our lives, there has to be fellowship. It's not an option. It has to happen. Worship without fellowship is like serving God and just worshiping Him and not fellowshipping doesn't make sense. They go, they go hand in hand together. And so... Um, there's a specific chapter in uh, Romans that I think sums up uh, this fellowship, this uh, koinonia, um, which is commonness, really well. Sorry, can I just ask someone to get me some water? My lips are literally like drying. 
I'm really sorry. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. Oh, uh, I love you. <laughs> um, so Romans 12, and if you can turn with me to Romans 12, or swipe with me to Romans 12, or just open your eyes with me and look at the screens, Romans 12. Uh, this morning we want to look at it. And Romans 12 is such a beautiful picture of what happens, of what biblical fellowship looks like, but happens when we encounter God and uh, what it should lead to. And so, Lord Jesus, I just pray that as we read this right now, read this scripture, that, Lord, your scripture would speak directly into our hearts. Uh, Lord, may your scripture is enough. Lord, we don't need man's interpretation. We need you, and your spirit can guide us. And so, Lord, I pray that as we read this passage right now, Lord, that you would speak to us. You would highlight stuff to us individually. Thank you, Father God. Amen. Awesome. So I'm going to read this chapter, and uh, please read it with me. Please follow along. Um, please like, take note of the things that you see and ask yourself, hey, God, am I seeing that? Am I experiencing that? And uh, our spirit is always longing for something. Our spirit longs for the things that we read about. And so let your spirit long for what we read about this morning. So it says in verse 1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Verse 3, For by grace... Given to me, I say to everyone among you, do not think of himself more highly than he ought to, but to think with a sober judgment according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as one body we have, may have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one in Christ, and individually members of one another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given of to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the, teach, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, and the one who acts with, uh, with acts of mercy, with cheerfulness. Let love be genuine. Arbor what is evil, evil, abhor what is evil. <laughs> Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. One another. Do not be haughty, uh, but associate with the lowly. Never be conceited. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to what to do, what is honorable in sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peacefully with all. 
Beloved, never avenge yourself, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on your head. Do not be overcome by evil, but be overcome with good, but overcome evil with good. And so this is a long chapter. Um, actually, it's not that long. It's just filled with beautiful, beautiful pictures of uh, kind of all these commands. I don't know if you noticed that it's filled with do this or do that or, or live like this or be that, you know. It's filled with these beautiful exhortations that, that Paul is just saying, hey, guys, this is what you, your life should look like. Um, but it starts with, there in verse 1, it says, I appeal to you, brothers, therefore. And therefore is always a thing of like, okay, we need to take note of what has been before. You know, because of what you've read, therefore live like this. And so from, verse, uh, from chapter 1 of Romans all the way to chapter 11, what has happened is that Paul has just written all about who God is, what He has done for us, His attributes. Like chapters 1 to 3 is all about God's wrath and like how He hates sin and how we are actually destined to die. It's like, hey guys, like God is this God of wrath. He doesn't like sin, but because of who He is, He saved us, you know. Um, in chapters 4, uh, and, and towards the end of chapters 3, we, we know this verse so well where it says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Okay, but do you know what the next verse is? Okay, but by righteousness, by the gift, but by, by grace you have been justified through the redemption of Jesus Christ. So there's this beautiful like uh, thing that he takes us through, Paul, from the first chapters all the way to 11, you know, in, in chapters 4 and 5, he talks about grace, and he just uh, goes on to talk about the goodness of who God is, the grace that has saved us. Nothing that we've done can save us, and we don't come here on a Sunday to be saved uh, through what we do, but we come and enjoy the free gift that God has given us and enjoy that. Like what Brett was saying is beautiful. I think this, as I was wor worshiping there, I was like, she's there, there. What happens in chapter 12 is a response to what God has done from chapters 1 to 11. You read about the goodness and the greatness and the sovereignty of who God is from all the way from chapters 1 to 11. And then he says, okay, well, because of that, because of what you know, he says in, in chapters 8, it says, Therefore there is no condemnations, condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And he says in chapters 30, uh, chapter 8, 38, it says, Neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God. In Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing, not even death, can separate us. And so that's what, that's what he sets up for us in chapters 12. And so often we hear, love one another. Be humble. You need to do this. You need to do that. You need to be more like this. And we're saying, well, God, well, 
I'm just, you know, let me just cope with my anger first before I... God is saying, you need to encounter me first. You need to encounter me. You need to understand my love. My love that we sing of is reckless almost because we, we can't describe it. We need to understand who Jesus says he is. And when we understand that, it compels us to a life that he talks about in Romans 12. And so my first thing is that, you know, God's mercy is something beautiful. It says there in um, the first, first verse of chapter 12, uh, chapter 12, it says, By the mercies of God. By the mercies of God. God's grace, God's mercy, we get to experience all of this. And so for me, community, when we gather on a Sunday, it's worship. And so we need to exalt the mercy of God in worship. So when we gather here on a Sunday, we exalt God's character, His mercy, His, His grace, who He is when we gather in worship. That's something that we can do when we get together. It says there, as a living sacrifice. In the Old Testament, we, have, we encounter sacrifices through animals, uh, through guys bringing those gifts, burnt offerings. Now, now Jesus, now God requires us to be the sacrifice. That's what He wants. That's the worship He desires is a living sacrifice. And then I want to say from verses 2 onwards in chapters, uh, in chapter 12, we find that we express God's mercy in community. And I'm just going to quickly touch on that, that we, we encounter that mercy, we express it when uh, we, we enjoy community. There's this vertical thing that we we enjoy who God is. We, we worship Him for what He's done for us. But it affects the way that we start living and the way that we connect them. Everything that He's talking about in chapters 12 is for the church. It's for the community. It's for those people that are living as living sacrifices. So I want to just sit and uh, you guys can sit, I can stand. And I want to just go through a couple of things that I see we need to do. Uh, in chapters 12. And the first one is that we belong to one another. We belong to one another. That's what I see when I, I read uh, that chapter. It says, By the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, do not think of himself more highly than he ought to, but think with a sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as one body we have many members, and the members do not have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ. So there is a oneness. When you come into your faith, when you join an expression of that walk together, not you just join a church where you come and attend. When your life is living for Christ, you're on that mission, you start encountering people that does the same and we give ourselves to each other. It's biblical to walk together. Lone rangers find it hard. Those people on the fringes, there's less accountability. There's less oneness on who Jesus is. You know, like, I think it's really important in this day and age that we protect what God, God's intention is for the church. And that's a family. You know, when we, um, in this whole journey of getting married, um, we drove down to South Africa just when Cassandra was flying back to South Africa, uh, to Canada. Um, 
And as we were driving down, we were like, she, she needs to meet the family. Like, there's not time, but we have to fit this in. And uh, we had to do shopping. And this was like in July when she was flying out. And uh, one of the things was she has to meet, you know, my dad's side of the family. Um, and my dad's side of the family, yeah, um, well, it's, there's just energy, you know. But, uh, I, I, like, whenever you have an extended family gathering, there's always bound to be just some kind of drama or why do I have to drive further than you? Why, you know, can't we meet at this evening? It's more convenient for us. And so um, there's this beautiful thing. So we got everybody together eventually after like so much debate, got a night where everybody would, during the week, which it was nice of them, like a Tuesday night, sit down and we're at my grandparents' house and it's this little small flat and there's like just, I don't know, there's way too many people for it and there's way too many loud fun of estesans and my uncle is going at me and my other uncle and it's just like loudness and I just see Cassandra sitting there and I'm just like, sheesh, like she's always said like, oh, my family's, her family's crazy. I'm like, no, she's marrying into this and I think that you don't have a choice about that. You know, it's like, you choose me, you get my family. That's how it works. And I think that that's how it works. That's how it works with Jesus. You get Jesus, and you're like, Sheesh, Jesus, I'm sold out for you. But God, He gives us people to stretch us. It's part of the deal. It just happens. And sometimes... You know, a couple of months later, you find out who these people really are. And you're like, oh, my word, God, like, what did I do? But that's what God calls us into, is community. We need one another. Church is family, and uh, God connects us. So that's my first thing, is that we belong to one another. And as a family, um, we need to care for one another. So, and then the second one is we're gifted for one another. I'll just kind of shoot through these and touch where I need to. In Romans uh, 12 verse 6, it says, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. Every single one of us in this room has been gifted by God for the work of ministry. Not full-time ministry working for the church. Ministry where God has placed you in your work, in your families. God has given you gifts to serve Him and advance His kingdom there. And we all benefit from each other's gifts. When people are on the fringes, when people are coming and being observers on a Sunday, I just come in, I sit, um, hey, that's the connection, that's my connection point, is only a Sunday, a quick tea, cheers. Where, where, where are our gifts getting rubbed off on each other? When I have a quick coffee with someone, when I bump into someone at Heads and Hooves and we're having a chat, when, when I, I'm in need and someone comes and supports me through their gift, it could be love, it could be practical. God has given each of us a gift and we're a family. Together, we belong to each other and community means we are there for each other and we use our gifts Yes, I think that so often our mentality of what gifts are is this. What this is, this is the gifts. These are the gifts. This is just some of them that are public. That's the problem. And we need to break that mindset that God has gifts 
in each of us and that needs to be unlocked. It needs to be unlocked. And so that we need to um, allow God to do that. Young and old, we need to do that. Third one, an obvious one, but it says that in uh, verse 9, love must be sincere. So we must love one another. Okay, love that is sincere, love that is not fake, love that is not superficial, love that is not conditional, when it suits me. The word uh, Paul uses for love here is the agape love, okay, which um, is uh, like, a, actually I didn't write the definition here, Flip. it's a sacrificial love. Um, a sacrificial love, um, and there's different types of love that we find, brotherly love, you know, sacrificial love, and um, he's talking about agape love here, which is sacrificial, so he's saying you need to make sure that when you love, it, it can sometimes it will be sacrificial, and it will, it not might, it will be sacrificial, uh, and that agape love was really frowned upon by the early Greek scholars that read this because agape love was a very it was like an almost a weak love like why would you be sacrificial in the way you love now you are making yourself some uh less and it's like i don't want to do that like it sounds it looks weak you know and so god is calling us to a love that might make us look weak so that he can look strong and so, a love that is selfless, and that's, just, that's the way Jesus lived. Okay, number four, which uh, it says in uh, Romans 12, verse 10, it says, Love one another with brotherly affection, which is another type of love. Okay? Um, and so, brotherly love. This is coming back to that thing of a family. Now, if I think about family, I am, I'm willing to, to take care of my family. You know, like, I want to I wanna make sure that my brother, my parents, my wife knows that I'm taking care of her. And there's a responsibility that comes when we think of family. Like, this is my responsibility. And God says, the church needs to be your family. That's the kind of mindset that we need to have towards each other. Not a, hey, how are you? Cheers. And it's hard to break free from that, like I'll admit, I struggle with that. But we need to start living as a community, as a church, that we think of each other as family and that we live it out. We actually take care of each other. Someone's in need, doesn't have a house or a roof over their head. We are there for each other, practically and, and physically, uh, spiritually as well. So I think that a lot of us come to church on a Sunday, and uh, it's a complete difference. It's like, hey, um, I want everything to look good today. Oh, the parking better be convenient. The building had better be very accessible. The childcare needs to be seamless. The people had better be friendly. The music had better fit my taste. The sermon had better keep my attention. And I'd better drive out uh, in a timely fashion with a whole experience meeting my needs. Or else I will look so out somewhere else. We, have, we all have needs and gather together and trust God to help us with those. 
But here's the thing. The problem comes when we think the way uh, to meet our needs is by centering on ourselves. When the Bible actually gives us a totally different picture. God has actually designed our needs to be met as we center our lives on others. So do we come to church with everything centered around what I need today? What I need to encounter, my preferences, what I want? Or do we center around, hey God, what are you saying to others through me? What are you saying, how do I need to love others this morning? And there's an amazing guy um, uh, called Aristide, because I got it on Wikipedia. It's a guy who was an apologist. Aristotite, that's how you would pronounce it, so you just have to believe me. Um, he was an apologist, okay? He wouldn't apologize. He wouldn't go around and be like, hey, sorry, sorry, sorry. Uh, but basically, he would defend the Christian faith. And I want to read us this about caring. This is in the early century, and this is what he writes to one of the kings. And he says, Now the Christians, O king, by going about and seeking have found the truth, for they know and trust in God, who has no fellow. They refuse to worship strange gods, and they go all their way with humility and cheerfulness. Falsehood is not found among them. They love one another. They, the widow's needs are not ignored. They rescue the orphan from the person who does him violence. He who gives to him, uh, he who has given to him, who has not, uh, ungradually and without boasting. When the Christians find a stranger, they bring him to their homes and rejoice over him as a true brother. They do not call brothers who are bound by blood ties alone, but those who are brethren after the Spirit and in God. When one of their poor passes away from the world, each provides for his burial according to his ability. If they hear... Uh, any of their number who are in prison or oppressed for the name of the Messiah, they all provide for his needs, and if possible, to redeem him, they set him free. If they find poverty in their midst, and they do not have spare food, they fast two or three days in order that they might have the supply, uh, might be supplies with the necessities. They observe, uh, <laughs> I cannot screw the commandments, so very dedicatedly, um, the commandments of their Messiah, living honestly and soberly as the Lord their God ordered them. Every morning and every hour they praise and thank God for their goodness to them and for their food and the drink they offer thanksgiving. Such, O King, is the commandments given to the Christians and such is their conduct. People that are willing to fast so that their needs could be taken, the, their food can be shared amongst each other. There are a lot of other things there. It says, you know, we need to honor one another. We need to motivate one another. We need to share with one another. There's so many good things, but I think what God has hit me with is, are you a family? Are you a family? Are you really, honestly, living the way I've called you to? Have you come to a church because actually 
you can find people that are exactly like you, that talk the same language as you, from the same background as you, that uh, you can relate to in a socioeconomic way, in a cultural way? Or are you in a place where God is stretching you? Are you putting yourself in a place where, hey, God, how do I relate to this person? Like, man, God, I know you tell we're a family, but what do we have in common? And it's like, God, Jesus, you're, you're the one that we have in common. And we, that mission that we're living with, we have in common. And we're going to pursue that together. We're going to build into each other. We're going to keep each other accountable. We're going to have this tight-knitted group where we can support each other. We can love each other. We can honor one another. We can motivate each other to this calling. How many of you, it says there, rejoice and weep with one another? When was the last time that someone rejoiced with you? Think of it right now. When was the... Who comes to mind when I say someone that rejoiced with you and weeped with you in this last month, this last year? Do we truly, are we truly living like that? Do we have people in our lives that are pushing us, pushing us towards Jesus, motivating us to that? I want to finish with, I think it's the last slide that I ha- have there. It says um, it's a big one with four or oh, three uh, points on it. We extend the mercy of God on mission. And the first thing we encounter in Romans 12 is that we need to worship God. We saw that from chapters 1 to 11. Hey, we're called to worship God and through that we, you know, we exalt who He is. And the world needs to see that we express who God is, His mercies through the way we do community. Many, many, many Christians have walked away from the church. Not because they don't believe in God, but they've not seen community. Many people are going from one church to another, to another, to another, because we, they don't actually get connected. And it's not always their fault. But the church isn't inclusive. It's not loving them the way they need to be loved. We need to be a church that shows that, expresses God's mercies to each other. When I'm going through a tough time, there's someone knocking at my door. And I know I can call on someone. And then the last thing that we see for the rest of of that chapter is we extend the mercies of God on mission. So there's that beautiful thing that we always talk about. There's that upward focus. There's this focus inside of us, and then there's an outward focus. Our name says that King's City Outward Church, and that has to be for us. So this morning, I want to challenge us to say, hey, are we experiencing the church that is described and the life that is described in in Romans 12? Or, 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 Or is it a shallowness? an easiness, a life where actually I just come and go. Are we grabbing people? The easy thing now is to to sit back and say, yeah, well, I'm not experiencing that. I'm not experiencing that, and I, I want that. So why isn't it happening? I think firstly, that conviction needs to start with us. Hey, God, like, let me be that. Let me that person that is genuine. 
that has no envy in my, in my heart, that weeps with people and rejoices with them. And for that to happen, you need to have a relationship. God, may I have relationship with people in this church that it will be like family. And so when, you, when we, we are fooling ourselves when we say Sunday to Sunday to Sunday to Sunday to Sunday, that is not the design of God's gospel. That is not how He's designed it. That this is not effective. It's going to stagnate or probably get slowly decline in your faith. God wants us to live sacrificially daily with people around us. And so life groups is a way for that, just to connect in a smaller group with people to say, hey, God, I'm going to plug in with a smaller group of people that I can be accountable to. But life group is, is still not enough. We need relationships beyond that. And so I want to challenge you this morning. If, if you're living from Sunday to Sunday or every second, third, fourth Sunday, that's it for you. My friends, ladies and gentlemen, that's not going to be effective. We're not going to advance God's kingdom like that. We're going to be a church that just stagnates. We might have numbers here on a Sunday, but we won't be changing lives out there during the world. Community is a part of God's design. Let me pray for us. Thank you, Father God, for your word, Lord Jesus. Thank you that it is filled with so much life and so much joy, Father. Lord Jesus, I pray that we would be a, a community that displays authentic fellowship, that, that there would be a commonness found in us, Lord Jesus, and may that be you. May not, that not be... Um, Father God, uh, the venue that we come to or the language that we speak. But Father God, may it be the lives that we live sacrificially. Lord Jesus, I pray that we would be a church that spurs each other on towards a life that is radically sacrificial for you. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would convict us right now, Father God, any person in this room, Father God, where, where we need to make shifts in our lives. Father God, time. Father God, create time for you and time for each other. Lord, I pray that you would highlight those areas in our hearts right now. Father God, I pray and I thank you that you don't condemn us, Father God. You just convict us. You convict us, Lord. And I pray that we would be a church that allows you to convict us. And so, Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the journey that you've taken us on. Thank you that you continue to speak to us. But, Lord, I pray for, for family-orientated relationships to be starting now, Father God, and to be formed in this church. Amen. I just want to add that part of maybe that, that picture that God showed me of a of a tree without leaves could be people that try to live their lives on their own. And what Yonko shared about community life for me is like living under a tree that's filled with leaves. It's beautiful. It's great shade. And it's just nourishing. I just want to tell you that life on your own is like living under a tree where there's no life. And this is not about you attending a meeting or a gathering. It's about us connecting one to another. We will never stop talking about community because God 
is in community with himself through Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's the supreme example we have of community. And he calls us to live the same. Even inside of us, this body, soul, and spirit. We're in communion with ourselves. And then we are in community with one another. So never can we justify being on our own. Never. I'm not talking about everybody getting married and having children. That's not the first design of community. The first design of community is us with Him and then us with one another, brothers and sisters. And I challenge you lovingly, stop living on your own if you are. I love you lots. But we cannot not apply the Word of God. We say love the Word, learn the Word, and live it. And this morning we're talking about living it in the sense of community. There are life groups. You go out there. There's life group options. But it's also about reaching out to one another, getting involved in each other's lives, sharing life with one another, visiting one another, having people over, and also not just disappearing on a Sunday morning because there's coffee and tea coming. Right? I love you. But we love you so much that we cannot let you be on your own. Amen? So God bless you. Go and enjoy community. Go and enjoy just partnership and being together. Not just today, not just this moment, but every day of our lives and the various communities that we can be involved in. So thanks, Uncle. Well done.